Welcome to Drive Your Own Adventure with Benjamin Starr. With holiday parks and resorts across New South Wales and Queensland, find your dream destination with Ingenia Holidays. Okay, we're out on the road today and we're having some interesting conversations. We're uh, having a chat to Bram Collins from Andara, the experience all about this uh, Australia's accessible outback. And uh, he's in the studio today with us. Bram, welcome. Thank you very much, Ben. What an interesting story. Your family, how it all started into this outback adventure. Can you take us through a little bit of that? My great-great-grandfather arrived um, in the uh, pastoral districts of Cook and Kennedy in um, 1860s, in the early 1860s. Uh, about the time the explorers were, uh, Burke and Wills were, the rescue parties were out looking for them. So um, uh, It sort of puts it in perspective, it doesn't does. it? Yeah, it does. It was a long time ago and um, we uh, we originally came into this uh, northern country looking for grazing land yep. because they had a, uh, a growing cattle herd from uh, northern New South Wales. And uh, they've basically been here since 1862, and um, so I'm fifth generation, um, <laughs> still own the same cattle property, still grazing cattle. When you think about your forebearers, it wasn't about creating a resort. No, no. About survival, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the lava tubes, thankfully, were on uh, some land that the family acquired in, eight, in the late 1890s. Mm-hmm. So um, you know we've been uh, been looking after lava tubes for over a hundred years as well. So um, now there's a story about a bell, <laughs> and um, it's not a dance song, but uh, and uh, it involves some bullocks and how the family sort of discovered where they were going to start this whole operation from. My great great grandfather Thomas Collins and his brother Charles were uh, coming up following the trail of an explorer named Leichhardt, and he came up into North Queensland in 1845. He uh, recorded ever all his experiences in a series of journals, and uh, the the two brothers were using the journals as, as a guide as they went along. And anyway, they spent uh, two nights in waterless country with no water. They had a bullock dray and a lead bullock out the front with a bell around his neck, his name was Nobby, and uh, at night they would unyoke the um, uh, the bullocks from the uh, from the bullock yoke, and they would uh, hobble them out and uh, put a bell on Nobby's neck, uh, just so they could keep track of him in the dark. And uh, every morning they would go and bring Nobby in, take the bell off, and take the hobbles off, and yoke them back up. And this night uh, he smelt water on the wind and broke his hobble straps and headed out looking for water. And uh, so Thomas tracked him next morning and uh, found him. uh, He was having a drink at a spring, a natural spring bubbling up out of the ground, and Thomas uh, could hear the bell ringing in the the scrub. So, So he went in and got him and took him back to where the mob were and brought them all over and watered their animals, and this was the how they found the country that they were going to settle. And um, and that bell is still in the family today. It actually sits on my dad's office desk at home. So uh, what, a, what a great reminder to what was, well, probably an act of survival. And really, in a way, that uh, that beast 
sort of laid foundations oh, for you. Absolutely. And we've been eating cattle ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to talk about mobs in a minute, the Aboriginals, because there's a lot to talk about with there. The land itself. Um, and we were talking about the fact that we're living in a world where we always have to constantly adjust. And your family have obviously survived the test of time. But surviving the test of time, was that, um, in terms of an insight to your family, were they very good at embracing change, do you think? I think um, necessity is the mother of invention. And when you're in a remote, you know, you live remotely, you do whatever you have to do to survive. Uh, I think we're probably resilient. I, and I think that we've um, we've been very good at living with, with very little. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyone who's started a business and who's had to create a business knows exactly what I'm talking about because you give far more than you receive mm. when you run your own business. And, and I really believe that uh, intergenerational businesses are people who, who firstly have a very clear dream. They've got a lot of drive and ambition, but they can um, – they just continue to give. They just never give up, basically. Yeah, they never give up. And, and, I, and I suppose we're going to talk about the whole thing of tourism because, I mean, originally you settled out of necessity, so it was all about cattle. Mm. Um, how did the tourism side come to life and why is it important in today's world? Um, well, we were very fortunate that uh, my great-great-grandfather, Thomas, in the late 1800s, he bought the neighbouring cattle property to the north of where he settled in 1862. And this property was about twice the size of Spring Creek, which was the place he settled with his brother. And it just fitted our our model for a cattle property. And so he acquired it. And on this property or under this property was the Andara lava tubes. Now, what are they? You're going to explain those in yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah, I will. But this is this, this very special cave system that um, – uh, you know, it was created 200,000 years ago, give or take a few years, and high on the Great Dividing Range, and there was no water in this area, as we know from the story of Nobby and, you know, him going out to find water. And um, it's high in the dry country, and when you dry, when you ride a horse particularly through this, this country, you'll come on to the lava tubes and the lava tubes are sections where the roof has collapsed and fallen in and you've got what appears to be rainforest growing from down inside the roof collapse. If you're out there and you're a pioneer, you're a first settler, you're looking for water and you ride onto a patch of dark green rainforest, yes. what are you going to think? Heaven. Water, yeah. finally. So you go down in there, there's no water. There's a really impressive cave system, but it serves you no benefit. It it gives it doesn't give you a solution to your problem. So you're still thirsty and you can't graze cattle down there. So they were perceived to be useless. And it was this perception that ultimately was their protection over time. It didn't have a worth at the time. It, it was worthless. It was special, yeah. but it was worthless. So when we acquired the cattle property, we knew they were there but they served us no purpose. You know, we would take friends out there and show them the, our caves, and little did we know these were the oldest standing lava tubes on planet Earth today. Why are they important now in today's world? 
personally, I, I love nature. And uh, for some people, the lava tubes won't be important because they just have a different set of priorities. Our priorities are such, though, that we have been custodians for over 100 years of this incredible natural wonder. And they're important because um, there's nowhere else on earth that you can go where there's lava tubes of this age. If you go to Hawaii, for example, there's lava tubes being created on a daily basis. Now explain how a lava tube's created. Because, okay. and, and these tubes that you're talking about aren't little holes. No, no, no. These are, you know, average about uh, 18 metres high, so about 60 feet. Uh, 25 metres wide on average. They do. They are a bit smaller and they are a bit larger than that as well. So 200,000 years ago? Yeah, so 200,000 years ago, we had three natural elements in our region that were in almost perfect balance. We had uh, a volcano with a huge amount of lava. We had an ancient landscape which had river systems in it. And we had a an, a gently sloping uh, landscape. And these three elements are really important. So when our volcano erupted, over 1,500 square kilometres of country was covered by the lava from this volcano. The main volume of lava channeled in the ancient riverbeds. And as it started to cool and harden in the rivers, it did so from the outside in. So where it touched the ground on the walls and floor of the riverbed, the lava tube started to form. The air started to cool the top of the lava flow and a crust or skin forms on the top. And as that skin gets thicker and thicker, the heat underneath supports the skin and the skin becomes solid, the walls and floor become solid. And the thicker the outside of the lava tube gets, the more it locks the heat inside the tube. And that keeps the liquid inside very fluid. And because of the gently undulating country, it allows it to gravity feed through this pipe it's created until the volcano stops erupting and it just drains out the end, leaving a hollow pipe behind under the ground. For you going um, out to the property and doing what you do now, it must give you a, a wonderful sense of satisfaction. Are you called to do this, do you think? Is it a calling? I, I really enjoy working with people. I, I'm somebody who enjoys people. I enjoy entertaining. I enjoy telling the story. Yeah. And I enjoy creating it as lifelike as I can for people to experience. And And... When you come to Andara, you, the first thing you'll notice is just how natural everything is. It's not, it's not a, a Hollywood production of what we think the outback is. It's just the bush as naturally as possible. And it's so simple. And for a lot of people who grow up in the city, you never experience stuff like that. And so many internationals come to Andara and have their first genuine wildlife experience because there's kangaroos and wallabies and wallaroos and kookaburras and and bird life that they don't see normally. And it's because we've kept the bush as natural as we possibly can. And life is as simple as it was on the station. When we do a bush breakfast, for example, and you cook your own toast over the fire and you have billy tea and you have brewed coffee on the fire. I love that. 
It, it is outstanding, but it's Do you find that people simple. from the city, the simple things in life, do you think when they come up here, do they find it hard to adjust? Does it take them a few days? Yeah, well, you get somebody from the big city, the first thing they do is walk around with their hand up in the air trying to get a mobile signal. <laughs> we don't know whether they're, they would need help or they're after a mobile signal. But um, if you spend time in outback Australia and particularly outback Queensland, yeah. you're outside a cell phone range. Yeah. All of a sudden there's this reality that there's a whole new world out there that you don't know about. And I, I love it when we get school groups that come up and they go, well, hang on, what are we going to do with our technology for four days? And you actually, <laughs> you actually teach these kids now that's a wallaby and that's different to a kangaroo and that's different to a wallaroo and here's why. And then yeah. three days in, they're coming to you saying, I saw a wallaby. How do you know it was a wallaby? Because of this, this, this. And all of a sudden they're super enthusiastic about something they've never experienced before because they've been forced to turn the phone off. Uh, so many people grow up in the city and they never see the stars. They never Isn't that see sad? the stars. And, and we sit around a campfire uh, where there's no light pollution, so you're in the dark, mm. you're around a campfire, you're under a million stars above, and we've had kids from Europe at Andara that say, what are they? You know, and I've, oh, I've got wow. this experience where we take kids out to a big flat rock area and they don't look up. It's just not in their DNA to look up. they look down at their phones normally. So they, we walk them out there and they got torches and they're following the torchlight. And then we get onto this big rock and I say, now I want you all to find your own space. I want you all to sit down and they still don't look up. Now close your eyes and lie down. And when they're all lying down, they're all quiet. We say, now open your eyes. And these kids are going, oh my God, what is that? And I said, well, <laughs> that's the universe. Right there. That's yeah. the, that's the Southern sky. Yeah. It's dream time. Yeah. And, and this is what people in the bush grow up with. And we're almost oblivious to it because we see it all the time. Now tell me, Cairns is not far away. People listening into this podcast today are thinking, gosh, this is, this is sounding too good to be true. We've got to go out here. So Cairns is not far away. So for folks that are, that are coming into to Cairns, what, what's your advice to them? You know, there's lots to see and do down there. I mean, you've got everything up here. Absolutely. There's, uh, I like to say there's only two things you can't do in this destination, snow ski and surf, <laughs> yes. but we do everything else really well. So, um, uh, and there are some fantastic experiences in, in North Queensland um, and great places to stay, like Hans Coconut Caravan Resort. It's just one of the greatest in the country. Yes. And, uh, we're very uh, proud, long-term supporters, and have worked very closely with them over the years. Yeah. Um, the beautiful thing about North Queensland is that everything is um, easily accessed by conventional vehicles. Sure. And so you can pick up a car, whether you fly in or you drive in yourself, and you can do um, one-day adventures. You can do multiple-day adventures. 
and keep coming back to Cairns because there's so many great regions. Of course, we've got Cape York Peninsula. Yes. Yep. We've got Cairns and the Northern Beaches. We've got Port Douglas Daintree region, yeah, the yep. Atherton Tablelands, the tropical coast south yep. of Cairns. Yep. And, of course, the Savannah Way, which is um, the Gulf Savannah from uh, basically the edge of the Atherton Tablelands to the Northern Territory border, which is a, another spectacular uh, natural region. And, and you can develop these... Uh, your own self-drive itineraries to take in all of these natural experiences out of Cairns. And I would strongly recommend yeah. uh, if you're coming to Cairns, make sure you uh, allow yourself a time budget. So don't just come in and fly and flop. Yeah, What you need to do is you need to say, right, we want to – see the Atherton Tablelands. We want to go to the Gulf Savannah. We want to go to Mission Beach, yes. see cassowaries. Whatever it is, I guarantee we have a natural experience here that you will remember for the rest of your life. So you can book these uh, trips through Ingenia, of course, Absolutely. once you get there. But your ultimate trip, I mean, tell us, how do we get to Andara? What are we going to see along the way? Well, um, if you come into the Gulf Savannah, we've got an incredible little area, uh, the Etheridge Shire, and we've got a, uh, a tourism brand out there called Unearth the Etheridge, and it is a geological connection mm. through our region, and we've got the world's oldest lava tubes. We've got a beautiful sandstone gorge uh, down in um, uh, near Forsyth called Cobold Gorge. Yeah. And uh, we just have this, we, we've got, um, our region is lava tubes, gems and gorges. We've got gem fossicking regions. We've got uh, historical uh, gold mines. In the summertime, yeah. um, all of the lava tubes, uh, there's always little micro bats that live in the lava tubes, but in summer they breed. Oh, really? And uh, when we have our sort of annual monsoon and we get our our rain, that triggers an explosion of the insect population and our bats feed upon insects. They're insectivorous. Oh. Now, the bats are mammals just like us. Yeah. So when they breed, they give birth to live young. Now, these are micro bats, so the body of the bat's about the size of your thumb. Wow. Okay, yep. so tiny little bats. Yeah. Some of these lava tubes become maternity caves, and so the numbers of bats at, in winter, this time of yeah, the year, yeah. can go from a 1,000 bats to several hundreds of thousands <laughs> of bats in the breeding season. And at nighttime, Drive particularly, boom, boom. Particularly in the summer, mm. we will go to the entrance of these lava tubes, mm. these maternity caves, just as the bats are swarming out to go and feed at night time. There are so many bats <laughs> that the snake, uh, the trees get full of pythons and snakes that hang from the trees, are and as serious? the bats fly out, they catch them out of the air. And, and you can see stand, this happening. We stand underneath the trees and we watch this happen. Wow. And if you have a look at the Undara website, yeah. um, you'll see videos, and particularly on the social media as well, you'll see videos of us on tour watching snakes catching bats out of the air. And it's – I don't know of too many places in the world where you can see this. Well, no. And, and we were talking before about how – 
everything's changing in terms of the environment and how things um, learn to uh, survive. Like we were talking about cane toads before and Correct. you were saying that yes. the animals have learnt to do what? Yeah, okay. So um, when I was a child, uh, we used to get big sanguanas, the big yeah. lizards, mm. right, and snakes, and they would dig underneath the chicken wire to get into the chicken coop to eat the eggs uh, that would be in the laying boxes. And it was our job as children to grab hold of the guana by the tail, drag them out of the chicken coop and bury the wire back down and cover it over and so they wouldn't eat the eggs. And almost overnight, all of the guanas disappeared and we hardly saw snakes. There were no frill-necked lizards left, but there was a new arrival and it was a cane toad. And this was about 45 years ago. Right. right. So the toads turned up. And what happened was everything that used to prey upon frogs saw this big frog and they ate them. Now, of course, um, cane toads are highly toxic. Sure. So eating the toad meant that it killed the animal. And so it's only in the last probably 10 or 15 years that we've started to see frill neck lizards uh, and these things that disappeared from our environment are now starting to make a resurgence. Yeah. Uh, all of these critters that used to prey upon the cane toad and die have learnt now that you don't eat the whole toad. You flip the toad over and you just eat the stomach and the inside of the toad and leave the carcass behind. And multiple species now do this. I've seen, you know, kookaburras, um, birds of prey, uh, feral cats, mm -hmm. dingoes. Mm. So multiple different species have evolved to now live with the toad. So the toad has become a part of our biodiversity. It's a critter that lives within our natural balance and mother nature has, has made the necessary changes that now the toad is uh, part of the balance. I had an experience recently where we took this radio truck that we're sitting in today. Chris is probably going to get a photo and put it up on the website so we so people can see it. And everyone said, oh, don't build it, don't build it, don't build it. It's a waste of money. And uh, probably was a harebrained idea. But we ended up in a little town called Yukai at a post office. And my best friend, who used to work in television, left Sydney, left the whole industry and bought a post office. And everyone said, he's mad. No, not really. He's changed the whole town. But what was interesting was I bought the truck up one afternoon and he and I were just sitting there having a beer and I said, why don't we do a podcast series and just talk to some of the locals? It was unbelievable. What I suddenly realized was all these people had never had a voice, mm. right? Um, everyone had a story. Everyone's got Everyone a story. had a story and everyone was a star. Yeah. And uh, it, what I found in these little country towns is people do embrace who they are. Sure. You know? Sure. And, um, uh, you know, it's very hard to uh, – it, it's very hard to live remotely without some sort of <laughs> self-confidence. Yeah. You, you've got to if, – if you want to disappear, go to a big city. Well, I think that's you the message today. In. When you drive your own adventure from the city, you're going to come to these communities. You're actually going to experience for the first time a sense of community. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a little example, right? We, um, my family were a founding uh, family of a bush race meeting, 
that is held once a year up here in North Queensland called the Oak Park Races. Right. <laughs> right. And it's 400 kilometres west of Townsville on a cattle station. So it's way out in the middle of nowhere, right? right. Founded in 1904. Now, we have run a camp for our visitors yeah. at Oak Park Races since 1904. Now, this year I turned 53 at the races and this was my 50th Oak Park. So I've I've missed three in my lifetime. Yes, yeah. We get people who come from the city that come to the Oak Park races. There's no mobile signal. So, and we're there for 10 days because we set the camp up. The races are only over two days. There's about five days of social events. Yeah. And then everyone goes home and we pack the camp up. So all up, we're there for 10 days. Yeah. When kids arrive from the city who have never been in this environment before, there's this immediate oh, my God, technology detox, forced technology detox. But after a few days, the kids are actually sitting playing cards. They're normal. When did you last see kids play cards? Yeah. When did you see families actually spend time with their kids together, talking and walking and, and actually appreciating the beauty of where you are? Yeah. What, what we need to do is every single person has a story. Every community has got these incredible experiences, mm. which you're not going to find unless you actually get out of the cities and start to try and find the pulse, listen to the heartbeat of a community. And the only way you're going to do that is by talking to people, yep. slowing down, spending time. Yep. And start to pay attention. Mm. Thanks for being such a, an interesting interviewee today. I mean, well, I love you. your passion. <clears throat> I love the fact that you um, are so passionate about what you talk about, and that's what makes it so interesting. And I only hope that uh, your kids find that passion that you've got and maybe one day take over from you. I mean, it's about the next generation as well, isn't it? I hope so. Chatting to Bram Collins today, and we've just been chatting about Andara. Lots to see and do here in Cairns, so you can drive your own adventure. Thanks for listening to Drive Your Own Adventure with Ingenia Holidays. With holiday parks and resorts across New South Wales and Queensland, Ingenia Holidays offers the ideal place for an extended break, weekend getaway or short stopover. Find your dream destination with Ingenia Holidays at www.ingeniaholidays.com.au.